This happened when I was around 12 years old. It was the middle of the night at my house. My dad worked the graveyard shift at his work. Since it was the weekend, I stayed up most of the night. It was somewhere between midnight and 1am and my dad told me to lock the doors and go to sleep, which I did. I went into my room and finally went to sleep, but only for about an hour. Around 2am I woke up to the sound of knocking on my back door. It scared me awake. After a few moments to process what I heard, I decided it was probably just my dad knocking on the door. Maybe he forgot something. Me being really exhausted, I knew he had a house key on him, so I just told myself he'll unlock the door himself. The knocking continued. It was pretty creepy. Then the next thing I knew, the knocking stopped. Then it started again, but at a different location. Someone was knocking on the window in my kitchen. I continued to assure myself that it was just my dad, but I didn't understand why he couldn't unlock the door himself. He always had a key on him. I felt pretty freaked out, and I definitely was not answering the door. If anything, my dad would have called me to open the door for him, and my phone was next to me. The knocking started again at another window. I was terrified now, too scared to get up and check who was out there. The knocking wasn't stopping, and the next thing I know the knocking moved to the front door at a louder level too. That's when it hit me that I couldn't move. I was frozen in fear. I couldn't scream or talk or even move a muscle. My heart was dropping as the knocking moved to another window closer and closer to my bedroom window where my curtains were see-through. I still couldn't move. I didn't know what to do or say. I could only sit there as the fear consumed me. I moved my eyes over to the window and my heart stopped when I saw a man peering through. A tall man in a dark ski mask. I could hardly make out any details because it was so dark. I think his mask had some sort of skeleton design on it. He tilted his head slightly and I tried to scream but nothing came out. I closed my eyes and started telling myself it's not real over and over again. I opened my eyes and there was no one there. I sighed in relief until I heard a loud whisper say, I'll cut you. Everything suddenly stopped. I really couldn't sleep anymore that night. It didn't feel like a dream and I've never experienced sleep paralysis before. Everything felt so real. I don't know what had happened, but I pray that I'll never experience anything like that again. It was one of the most frightening moments of my life. The following morning I asked my dad if he came back from work and if he was knocking on the doors and windows. He said he didn't. I'm a 25 year old female. Last Friday I had a little time to kill before picking up my kids from school. It was a gorgeous day so I decided to spend some time cruising the back roads in my hometown listening to music. I passed a guy with his thumb out, trying to catch a ride, and I almost picked this guy up. He looked to be in his late 30s, early 40s, carrying a fishing pole and a backpack. Pretty innocent looking, I guess. But see, I'm alone, female, and have been taught with the hundreds of hitchhiker gone wrong stories that you should just keep driving. So I kept driving, and as I'm driving, I'm having an internal dialogue of guilt about my decision not to pick this guy up. You know, if I was hitchhiking, I'd hope someone would pick me up. I mean, really, what's the worst thing that could happen? 
That makes with my new self-improvement goal of doing things that scare me as often as possible led me to the conclusion that if when I loop back around and he's still walking, I would pick him up. Sure enough, about 10 minutes later, he was still there. I was feeling a little nervous pulling over getting him, but what was I going to do? Peel out when he's trying to get in my vehicle? As soon as he gets in, I realize I probably made a horrible mistake. One, because he seemed like he was tweaking balls and smelled god-awful. Two, because this guy was looking at me like I was a feast and he was starved. I didn't realize exactly how rattled I was with my decision until he asked me for a smoke and my hands were shaking so bad that I barely pulled one out of the pack without breaking it. Driving made it easier to hide my nerves, but I was internally freaking out and trying to decide how I would beat this guy's ass if he tried anything. His name was Wayne and he lives 5 minutes from where I picked him up. Meanwhile, he's telling me that he lost his license due to DUIs and that he's living in this house with this old man. He was also trying to talk me into hanging out at said house with him and come over to drink with him the next day. When I finally get to his destination, it's a little shack-like thing surrounded by these junky cars and shit. He gets out and is still trying to convince me to come inside with him. I tell him no and leave. I'm feeling relieved and a little bit proud that I faced a fear of mine. Fast forward to Monday, my instructor says, holy shit. Apparently someone got murdered down that back road. Do you know anyone down that way? I said, Wow, you know, that's ironic. I took a hitchhiker down that road Friday. His name was Wayne, I think. It wasn't even 15 minutes later when I see Wayne's picture on Facebook saying that the police had picked him up for stabbing someone to death in the very house I dropped him off on Friday. Graphic information of how he stabbed him in the lungs and let the victim bleed out in the little shack. And the old man he was living with didn't even exist. I swear, I'm never picking up a hitchhiker again in my life. Okay, so a little backstory. I go to a high school with about 500 people. This happened during my sophomore year. I'm a junior now. This might not be as extreme as other stories, but this is something that still terrifies me, even a year later. Mark had other issues before this happened. He started cutting his arms in class. I was sitting two seats over from him and just watched the blood roll down his arm. He ended up being reported to the office and was sent to the YOC for about a month. The YOC is a youth opportunity center. It's basically a mental hospital, juvie center, for kids. He came back and seemed to be fine. He said he was never suicidal and that he only cut his arms for attention, which made sense for him because of his kind of messed up childhood. On the day that everything happened, I had no clue about anything. During my sixth hour class, the school resource officer appeared at the door of my classroom. One of my friends was standing right behind him. The SRO told my teacher that he needed me immediately. I had no clue what was going on. I just thought I was randomly getting drug tested, which is pretty common in my school. I tried asking why we were going to the office and got no response. He took the two of us into a conference room where two police officers were standing. They questioned me first. As I walked in the room, he shut and locked the door behind me. One of the police officers blocked the door and the other one blocked the window. I was petrified. I had no clue what was happening. This conversation ensued. No, 
The SRO was confrontational and aggressive throughout this entire conversation. Have you heard anything today? About what? There were threats made against our school. Your name came up in conversation. What do you mean my name came up in conversation? I haven't heard anything. Who made the threats and who said I would know anything about it? Mark made the threats. We questioned some other people and your name popped up. They said you might know something. Who said my name? We can't tell you. I understand that they probably couldn't tell me who said it due to confidentiality reasons, but it was so frustrating being locked in there with police officers who are acting like I've done something wrong, especially when I hadn't. To this day, I still have no clue who mentioned my name. Back to the conversation. I have heard nothing. The only class I have with him is in fifth period and he wasn't there today. We don't talk outside of class, and the only reason we talked in class was because we sat at the same table, so we would have to work together some days. Are you sure? I'm positive. I don't know anything. All of this is news to me. Okay, you're free to go. They opened the door, took my friend in, and I went back to class. I was kind of in shock. As soon as I walk in through the class door, everyone is bombarding me with questions about what had just happened. I ignored them and put my head down for the rest of the class. Later that night, I saw on Facebook that the school had posted a message. I don't remember what it was exactly due to it being deleted, but from what I remember it was something like, Parents and students, two students reported that threats were made against our school. We handled the situation and there is nothing to worry about. The actual post was longer, but I honestly don't remember. I told my parents everything that had happened that day and they immediately wanted more information. I couldn't give it to them. At that point, I didn't know about the hit list or his arrest. All I knew was that he had threatened to shoot up the school. The next day, shit hit the fan. I found out that he had told people about his plans during the first hour and that he was taken out of class and arrested during our fourth hour. He was going to do it during our fifth hour, starting with the class that he was in which I was in too, and then he would head over to the cafeteria. I still get chills when I think about it at this very moment. During lunch, my best friend came up to me and told me about the hit list Mark wrote and showed her during the first hour. She didn't get a chance to tell me the day before. The other guy who was there confirmed everything. I was on it. I was the third name down. Evidently, he described it in detail of how he would kill me. Luckily, someone stopped it from happening, or else I would be dead before I got to graduate high school. To this day, I don't know why he wanted to kill me. I barely even spoke to this guy. I was polite in class if I ever had to work with him. We had no negative interactions, so I honestly had no clue what I did to make him so desperately want me dead. As I understand, he had a gun in his locker. It wasn't a joke like his friends thought. He intended to do it. I'm relieved that I'm alive and nothing happened, but I was also out of my mind with horror at the thought of someone plotting my death. About two weeks later, my dad and I go into the Dollar General in our town. Keep in mind, my dad has no clue what Mark looks like. We walk in and buy something for dinner and I see Mark. He's staring at me so intensely that I wanted to run out of the store. I stuck close to my dad and told him to hurry. He looked at me confused and I told him I would explain later. Mark followed us around the store and I couldn't breathe. I don't have words to describe how scared I was. 
My dad and I got what we needed, left the store, and got into the truck. As soon as I was in the truck and the doors were locked, my dad turned to me and asked, Who was that? He looked like he wanted you dead. I replied that that was Mark. At this point, we were thoroughly panicked, not only because he's roaming free, but because he knew where I lived. We had security cameras, but knowing that this person has expressed a desire to kill you and knows where you live is just terrifying. The school has since acted like nothing happened. In fact, one of the administrators told me that my family was overreacting when we wanted to know if he would be back in school because according to them, I was never in any real danger. Luckily, the kid is no longer at my school and is currently in jail because he murdered his mother. He pushed her down the stairs and she was found dead, wrapped up. Thankfully, he was caught and I don't think he's getting out anytime soon. This occurred in 2017 and is 100% true. Due to the multitude of factors, including the recent death of a close friend, I was depressed at this time in my life. For that reason, my family flew across the country to visit me in LA, where I live. We thought it would be nice to visit Catalina Island. When we arrived, it became apparent to us that it was the off season. It was late November, the weather was cold, and as a result, the island was nearly empty besides locals and a few straggling tourists such as ourselves. Our first priority was to ditch our luggage so we could explore the island, so we immediately check into our motel, though that word hardly does this place justice. I called a motel because the doors to the rooms exited to the outside, but in actuality, our room was one of 20 to 30 quaint guest house looking buildings arranged in some sort of horseshoe shaped around a walkway with rooms on either side of the path. The entrance to the motel was essentially one of the points of the horseshoe, and if you walked dead straight, you'd reach the room we were given. Essentially at the corner before you have to go right to go further into the horseshoe. So from our room, one path led to the street, the other further into a secluded maze of rooms. One day after exploring and just having finished dinner, it was time for the cold, dark walk back to the room. Catalina Island is a decent distance from the mainland, and let me just say, it gets dark. Almost as dark as my headspace after the dinner conversation took a left-hand turn and my overwhelming depression got the best of me. I pulled my black hoodie tighter over my freezing ears and walked ahead of my parents to the hotel room, telling them that I just needed to sleep. I did, immediately. Depression sometimes makes that easy. I was already losing consciousness as they entered after me, drifting off without so much as a good night. I then woke up with my mom saying my name in a harsh whisper. The room had two beds, my parents' bed close to the door and mine further into the room. My mom's voice cut through the silence again. She sounded concerned for me. I don't blame her, considering my mental state at the time. Groggily, I rolled over. What? I asked. As my eyes adjusted to the dim moonlight coming through the curtains, I saw her turn to face me. She was surprised to see me in my bed. Her eyes got wide. If I'm in my bed, who is she talking to? We both looked back to where she was previously looking to see a hooded figure in all black standing over their bed. Understand how horrifically startling it was to be on an island in the middle of the ocean and wake up to see a hooded stranger looming over you. 
this moment seemed to last forever. Life isn't like movies, where characters unleash a blood-curdlingly scream. Sometimes the only thing that comes out is something panicked and guttural. My mom's words became low as she said my dad's name in a dire voice that I had never heard her use before. Then the hooded figure did something so bizarre and unsettling. It didn't advance towards us, but instead crouched in the corner near where it stood. The way it crouched was so absolutely unexpected, even in regards to this already unexpected situation, that it terrified me. It seemed animalistic. I knew two things. The hooded figure had been standing over us sleeping, and it's not acting in any sort of way that I can understand. As opposed to the infinite moment of the figure standing over us mere seconds ago, the series of events that unfold when my hawking ex-military dad woke up happened in an instant. Suddenly we went out the door, not knowing which way the intruder went. My mom screaming, get him, get him. My dad running down the path of the horseshoe, further into the hotel, shutting through the sheer adrenaline. I'm gonna fucking kill you. I ran down the other path towards the street. When I got there, there was no sign of the intruder. It became suspiciously quiet behind me. I ran back to the room to find my dad quickly walking back, his head low. He gets really close to me and I hear him say, it's a fucking kid. The explanation, some young teen, tall and lanky, wearing all black including a black hoodie, went to the wrong room, our room. The one time my parents had happened to forget to lock the door. My mom woke up when he entered and seeing a tall person in a hoodie, she thought it was me, assuming that I left the room in a depressive episode. When the hooded figure crouched, that was him realizing the mistake and panicking. He was scared of us. As I got back to the room, my mom walked out and hugs this kid, who is now crying his eyes out. I would be too if a massive ex-soldier was sprinting after me with murder in his eyes. So I'm a 23 year old female. I live in a townhouse with my two children, two years and a six month old. My fiance did live with us until two weeks ago when I caught him trying to get with other women and I made him move out. That's important to the story. I'm a stay at home mom and when he did live with us, my ex worked evenings. Let me set the scene. We live in a tiny town in Northern Pennsylvania. My line of townhouses sit in front of a big field that runs to a line of woods. As far as I'm aware, those woods stretch for at least a few miles and I'm not aware of any houses in there or any roads that lead through them. My living room has three windows that look onto the field and my bedroom on the second floor only has one window that faces that way as well. People tend to walk their dogs back in the fields and kids sometimes play back there, but I rarely see anyone close to my house. For that reason, I tend to leave my blinds and curtains open because I enjoy the view. So in July of 2019, I was laying on my bed trying to fall asleep. All the lights were off, but I had my window and blinds open since it was so warm. I was looking out the window and I noticed a small red and white light just outside. I got up and looked to realize that the lights were coming from a drone. I ran downstairs to where my fiance at the time was sitting in the living room and ran to the window. I told him what I saw, but of course, when he went out to look, it was gone. I was kind of paranoid that the drone could have had a camera on it and someone could be watching me with it. I kept my blinds closed for a while after that, 
Fast forward to January of this year. I guess I stupidly got comfortable and assumed that whoever it was flying the drone was just a one-time creep. My blinds were open and I had just gotten out of the shower. I was sitting on my bed, pretty much naked except for my underwear, scrolling on my phone, when out of the corner of my eye I saw the lights again, out of my dark window. It was that damn drone again. I ran out of the room and waited a few minutes. I peeked back into my room and it was gone. I quickly shut my blinds and got dressed. Honestly, I felt sick at how stupid I was to leave my windows open again, especially when I was practically naked. Now for the really disturbing part. My two-year-old son and I were out on the fields two weeks ago, three days after I kicked out my fiance. Probably about a half hour after we'd been out there, I heard a slight whirling noise coming towards us. I looked up and it was that damn drone flying towards us. I looked around and didn't see anyone. It stopped right over us. I freaked out and grabbed my son and dragged him into the house, looking back at the tree line every so often as we went. I knew they had to been hiding in there. I went inside, closed the blinds, and called my mom and told her about the situation. She told me to just keep an eye out. My son likes to line his toys up along the windowsill, so I figured it wouldn't hurt to have them open just an inch or so. A little while later, after we ate dinner and it was almost dark, I was feeding my six-month-old and my son was playing. He was standing over by the window, lining up his toys. He started saying, Dada, Dada. I assumed that he was just missing his father and dismissed him by saying he was going to see him this weekend. He kept saying, Dada, Dada. I looked up and saw him pointing out the window, under the little gap that the blinds didn't cover. I froze. I remember that he calls any man with facial hair, Dada, because it reminds him of his own father. But there was no way someone would be bold enough to actually come up to my window. Not when my neighbors are literally right there. Anyone could see them. But there aren't really any lights back there, so unless someone actually stepped out of their house, I guess no one would actually see them. Maybe it was my ex, but he should have been at work at that time. I ran to the window and moved my son. I didn't want to lift the blinds, but honestly, I was sure that it had to be the person who was creeping on me for the past year and wanted to see who it was. I pushed the blinds up and was looking at a man who I definitely never seen before. He was crouching in front of me. He was bald with a mustache and a goatee. I have no idea how old he was. He could have been anywhere from 30 to 50. When he saw me, he smiled and stood up. I yelled and told him to fuck off and that I was calling the cops. He just stood there, smiling at me, like some freak. I was about to close the blinds again when he said something I couldn't hear. I told him to leave again and he said, I just want to talk to you. I shook my head no and yelled the same thing to him. He started slapping his hands on the window, yelling, no, 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 over and over. I grabbed my phone, scared that he was going to try to break in. I dialed 911. My kid was crying from the yelling and I felt on the verge of tears. I told the operator what was going on. The whole time I was on the phone, the man was pounding on my window, screaming. He was yelling all kinds of nonsense and I only caught some of it. He said that he's been watching me for months, that I'm beautiful. He wants me to come with him and that he'll kill my children if I don't. The operator told me to go into the upstairs room and hide until the police arrive. 
My town doesn't have a police department, so we rely on the state police. She said it would be about 20 minutes, but to stay on the phone with her. The man was practically punching the window now and was just screaming like a maniac. I was about to grab my kids and run upstairs when I heard someone else screaming. The man bolted. I looked out to see my neighbor and his girlfriend. I opened the window and my neighbor said that he heard the man so he ran around the building. He said when the guy heard him that he ran back into the woods and disappeared into the tree line. They said they had also called the police. The police arrived 10 minutes later. They did a quick search around the building and in the trees but obviously didn't find anything. I've been super paranoid since and stayed with my parents for a few nights after it happened. I don't know why this guy targeted me or why he waited so long to do something. I'm just happy that my neighbors were there to intervene or God knows what would have happened. When I was 15, my mom, my younger sister and I were living in a not so nice apartment. My mom took the couch and my sister and I got the bedrooms. I got first choice so obviously I chose the one with the window. So there was a main floor to the building which was the lobby and then the floor above it which was considered the first floor. I mention this because every other apartment I lived in the first floor was the first floor. Outside the apartment windows was a fire escape with a landing on the first floor above the lobby. It was summer about 4am. I was laying in bed trying to sleep with the lights off. From the moonlight I noticed something outside my window. Then, a flashlight clicks on and it's a man maybe in his late 30s. I threw my blanket over my face and didn't move because I was terrified. He starts looking around my room with a flashlight which felt like minutes but in reality it was probably only 60 seconds. Then he just left. I don't know where he went and as far as I know he didn't come back. The next morning when I leave the building, police were there and there was a pile of blood on the stairs between the lobby and first floor. I have no idea if it was related, and it's been about 15 years, so I'm not sure if I'll ever know. But to the man with a flashlight outside my window, let's not meet again. For some background, I live in the UK, and I go to a school with a uniform. I go to a large all-girls school with about 8 classes of 30, and I've heard about creeps lingering outside the school before, but they are usually sorted out quite quickly by the school staff. At the time, I was in year 9, so about 13 years old, and only about 4-9. I had a big homework assignment due, and because I didn't have a computer at home, I stayed late at the school to do it in the ICT suite. As it was the beginning of the school year, it was relatively dark at 5pm, which is when I got out of school and this event took place. I had to get the bus home as both my parents were working. The bus stop outside my school was fairly busy. There was a couple of other people and me. I had my back up against the fence and noticed a man under the bus stop facing away from but next to the road and opposite the fence I was leaning on. I was aware of my surroundings as I've had previous experiences with old creeps and I'm just a generally paranoid person. The man didn't strike me as particularly interested, but I did notice him glance over at me from the corner of my eye. I then saw a bus and assumed it was mine, so I stepped forward to check. It was not my bus, which was annoying as I was cold and I didn't have a coat. 
As I went to step back against the fence, I almost stood back into the man that was under the bus stop originally, but he had moved directly behind me. He had his arm up against the pole next to the bus stop. I felt a bit concerned, but couldn't move as the other side of me had all the people waiting to get on the bus that was coming. It felt like forever as I could feel the man's breath on top of my head come and collect all the other people at the bus stop. Once the last person got on the bus, I quickly moved out of the man's area and back to the fence. He also moved, so he was back under the bus stop, sitting across from me, staring at the ground. At last, my bus came after about three minutes like that. I didn't want to give away the fact that I was getting on the bus, but I had to wave it down, so I stood next to the road to signal it over. As I got on, my heart was really going as the man was back right behind me. I had already got my bus card out and scanned it very quickly and only saw a few people downstairs. Normally there might be a few people upstairs, so that's where I headed. That was probably my biggest mistake. I got up there and it was completely empty. Well, I couldn't really go back down at this point, but I knew the man had already gotten on and would most likely be coming upstairs. I did the next best thing. I sat in the outside seat directly in front of the bus camera which I kept looking directly at, just in case something happened. The man came upstairs, as expected, and he sat at the back of the bus, not before looking and smiling at me as he passed. It was then that I had the idea that probably saved me. I live on a quiet street, and it's already dark now, so there was no way I was getting off the bus at my stop with this man. I pulled out my phone and earbuds. I put one of the earbuds in my ear and text my friend to play along when I FaceTime her and informed her about my situation. She understood and, along with some small talk, I talked loudly about how my mom was mad that I stayed late at school and that she texted me saying that she was waiting at the door for me and that I told her that I was only 10 minutes away. In reality, I told my mom that I was staying late that morning before I left for school and my mom was at work 45 minutes away and so was my dad, about an hour and a half away, which limited their access to either of their phones. The bus was at my stop to get off now, and I took a deep breath and stood up. I looked back at the man and he was looking at me as I walked down the stairs. My friend was screen recording at this point, just in case something went down. Thankfully, he didn't follow me down the stairs, but as I was walking off the bus, I looked back to see him against the back window, hands and fists staring at me. That is when I took my flimsy school shoes off and sprinted to my house, as the next bus stop was still on eyesight. There were two main roads that led down to my street. Once I was down my street and far enough away that you couldn't see the top of it anymore, I told my friend about him being up against the window. I put my shoes back on and sped walked the rest of my way to my house. My family still doesn't know anything about this, though I was quite proud of myself of the way I handled the situation and how I ran with no shoes on. It was a typical Tuesday night. My girlfriend and I had just finished dinner, and we decided to treat ourselves to some frozen yogurt from the local place about 12 minutes away on foot. The sun was beginning to set as we made our stroll to the Froyo joint, where we stopped at an intersection when we first saw him. He was about 6 foot 2, wore a plaid jacket, and had the most uncomfortable gaze I'd ever seen. He just stared at my girlfriend seemingly without blinking. Luckily, the light had changed and we were allowed to cross the street. 
We decided to slow our pace so the creepy dude could walk ahead of us, which he did. Stumbling as he made his way across the intersection, I thought he might have been drunk or something, but I was to learn that he wasn't at all. By the time he made it across the intersection, we were trying to really avoid this guy, so we slowed our pace to almost a complete stop. To our horror, so did he. Not to think too much of it, we continued to walk past him. That's when the creepy guy turned into someone truly dangerous. He lunged at my girlfriend, grabbed her head, and attempted to knee her in the face. As I was right beside her, I managed to quickly push him off of her and punch him in the side of the head before he tried to run off. At this point, I was yelling at people to stop him, which one lady did. He turned around and yelled at me, saying, Fuck you! When someone said that they were calling the cops, he decided to run away. I didn't bother to chase him. I was more concerned on how my girlfriend was holding up. He wasn't on drugs, he wasn't drunk. He was just someone I'd never want to meet again. So this happened to me almost seven years ago now. I should give some background info before getting into things. At the time this all happened, I was around 16 years old and had a friend I'll call Karen, who was dating a boy named John. At this point in time, Karen and John had been dating for maybe six months. And after going out with Karen and John on many occasions, they decided that they wanted to hook me up with John's friend. We'll call him Cameron. At this point in time, I had met Cameron in person once. He was nice, so I gave him my social media, and we chatted a couple of times. It's important to note he didn't have my number, or know where I lived. Now it's time for the story. Fast forward to one night, maybe a week or two after I met Cameron. I'm laying in bed, it's around 2 or 3 in the morning. I get a call from an unknown number. Thinking, why in the hell is an unknown number calling me at this time of night? I decide to answer it, and see who it is. So I answer the phone and say hi, and the man responds saying hi back. Since I didn't recognize the voice on the other end, I ask the person who they are. Instead of giving me an answer to this question, the man on the line tells me to look outside my window. Thinking this is probably a prank... I can tell the man to F off and hang up on the phone. Once I did this, the number calls back again. Didn't answer it. The person then proceeds to call me another four times until I finally answer the phone, which again I ask who the heck is calling. This time the person responds and tells me that one of my friends gave him my number, and that I'm the guy he's been talking to. At this point, my stupid 16-year-old mind is trying to rationalize this and the only person I can think of is Cameron. Before I can say anything to this person, he again tells me to look out my window. He's outside, and I begin hearing noises outside my window. Now I should mention that my room is right beside my parents' room, and being stupid, my first thought was that the fool was going to wake them up, and I'd never hear the end of it. Let me tell you, that thought soon turned into the last thing I would worry about that night. Anyway... At this point, I'm starting to get creeped out. I'm thinking to myself, okay, if this is Cameron, and Karen did give him my number, how the hell would he know where I live? So I replied to the man and say, Cameron. The man says yes, 
and tells me to look out my window. I replied telling him to go home and hang up the phone again. Weirded out, I decide I'm going to get up and go into the basement and call Karen so that hopefully my parents don't hear me talking from my room. This is really important because to get into the basement I have to pass a door that's partially made of glass. So I get downstairs and call Karen and she answers clearly half asleep. I tell Karen about the unknown call which I'm assuming is from Cameron and how he is telling me to look out my window because he's outside. And on top of this, I can hear someone out there. Karen, now clearly awake, tells me that she's never given Cameron my number or address, and calls John quickly from her phone to see if maybe he did. At this point, John answers and tells Karen that not only had he never given my information out, he is with Cameron. They tell me if someone's outside, I need to hang up and call the police immediately. So I hang the phone up, and before I can even get to dial anyone, I get another call. Guess who? Unknown number. So I stupidly answer again. And before I get a word in, the man tells me that he knows I'm in the basement. He saw me walking by my back door. Now I'm clearly disturbed, as I did just walk by my back door to go downstairs. So I know someone is outside. Again, before I could say anything, the man tells me to come outside. So, stupidly, I tell the person, I'm calling the police, and hang up the phone. Why I didn't call the police at this point, I really don't know. Probably because I was 16, stupid, and literally in panic mode. Not more than a minute later, I get a call. A no number. I answer again, and the man tells me to come outside and... He's coming inside to get me. Clearly panicking at this point, I have this deep gut feeling that if I go outside, I'm never coming back. However, I do have to go by the door again to get back upstairs, and that was equally terrifying me. So I hang the phone up again and muster up the courage to run upstairs because that's the last place I wanted to be, and was in a part of the house no one else was in. I get more calls, unknown number, Unknown number, unknown number, again. My 16-year-old stupidity answers. This time the voice on the phone sounds shook and says to me that the police stopped him outside my house and they want to speak to me to make sure I know him. The phone then gets passed off to someone who identifies himself by name and with some title I no longer remember and asks if I know the man outside my address. He says my house number and street. I quickly tell the voice on the phone, I don't have any idea who the person calling me is, and hang up the phone. Never got another call again. However, I did sit there all night holding a bat, and had problems sleeping for months. I should also mention, I didn't have any real friends at this point in my life, and looking back on this night, I thought maybe this was a prank taken too far. However, I begged the few friends I did for months to admit that one of them were the person pulling this off. Until this day, they all insist that none of them did this. So whatever got this person to stop calling me, thank God, and to the unknown caller, let's not meet. So my parents had recently split and my brother's mother and I were living in a trailer park in East San Diego. 
The way the double wides were situated, everyone had sort of a mini garden in front of their plot, only about four by three feet, roughly the size of the inside of a standard closet. If I remember correctly, we had a basketball hoop situated in ours and I would play basketball in the streets constantly at that time. I remember the first incident like some sort of fever dream. I shot a basket and missed, and it rolled into my neighbor's mini garden plot. Not a big distance since all that separated them was one carport. I run over to fetch it. I would also like to add she wasn't growing anything, it was just a square of dirt. And I see a flash above my head. And I shit you not, I see this old lady's face pressed against her window, directly above me taking a Polaroid of me. I freaked out and told my mom, but she didn't believe me. Why would a 70 plus year old woman next door do that? I ceased playing basketball and a couple days go by and nothing happens. Then one day I come home from school and old lady has put camcorders in all of her windows facing our trailer and had left her side door open with a camcorder on a stool just watching us. My mom immediately called the police, but the cop informed us that it was totally legal since it was kind of like security cameras and recommended we hang up sheets on our side of the carport to block her view. My, at the time, 16-year-old brother invited over all of his friends to hang out in the carport and be obnoxious, moon the camera, flip it off, and play loud music, anything to piss her off, really. Also, always wondered how she could afford all these cameras. This wasn't a nice trailer park, and she had at least $1,000 worth of gear watching us. Anyway, things go on like this for a while. Until one night, my brother's out and my mom is a couple of trailers away hanging with friends. It was a pretty tight-knit community. and They would always come check on everyone every hour or so. And I was in the living room watching High School Musical, as one does in 2008, when I hear a weird sort of under-the-breath shout, then a bang on the door. I go over and answer it. It was the crazy old woman. I instantly slam the door shut and stand in shock as she starts screaming, saying we stole her trash cans. It wasn't even trash night. She then tries to force her way inside and I'm holding the door shut as I call my mom. She rushes over and forcefully removes the old lady from the door and calls the police. My dad picked me up soon after and stayed the night there. Apparently after all, that the old lady's husband came over and apologized and told my mom she had been suffering from a lot of mental struggles in her old age, and he couldn't stop her with the camcorders, but didn't think she would take it further. He was very nice, and we obviously didn't press any charges. Looking back on it, I know she was struggling, and sure, she was a nice enough lady, but she really fucked me up, and probably cost me my NBA career. So old lady, I hope things got better for you, but let's never meet again. So, this is my first post on here. I finally made a reddit because I think I have some frightening experiences, being as though I grew up in a very bad town. What they wanted while the counter assistant was busy helping other customers, and actually drawing up their customer ideas. Well, it was late night at the shop. Dad decided to stay open late since the bar next door was celebrating some kind of anniversary party, or something like that. I went out to have a smoke even though I wasn't 18. 
I blended in well since I had just walked out of the tattoo shop. Well, I'm enjoying the ciggy and scrolling through a couple messages from friends when I hear an odd crackling older man's voice say, You got an extra one of those? I looked up and expecting it to be one of the guys from the shop, just being funny and trying to creep me out. I was wrong. The guy standing in front of me looked like he had just crawled out of an abandoned building's basement. He had no coat on, which was odd because it was 14 degrees Fahrenheit that evening. I quickly responded, I'm sorry I don't. I borrowed this from a friend. My sig was not even halfway, but I wanted to put it out and go inside. The guy stood there looking at me. I avoided eye contact, unsure what to do. There were people standing on the corner outside the bar, but I didn't really want to panic and make a scene. He continued to ask me more personal questions like, Are you getting ink done? And that made my skin crawl. Are you here alone? No, I'm here with my friend, I said quickly. I should probably get back inside. You can have this if you want. I handed him the sig and he immediately put it in his mouth and took such a long drag that the sig was almost done. I felt very creeped out and said, have a good night, and went back inside. I told my friend we will call her Renee about this strange guy outside. She went out with me so I could smoke a full cigarette. At first it seemed like the guy had left, so I felt relieved and was chatting and having a good time joking with Renee about the guy inside that kept staring at Renee and I. That's when I noticed something on the other side of the street moving in the bushes. Do you see that? I said grabbing Renee's arm and pulling her close so she could see where I was pointing. Probably just another possum. Let's get back inside, it's cold. She dragged me inside and as the door shut I can see it was bigger than a possum. But more like a human. I shook it off and decided I was tired and still creeped out. It was about 4am when the shop finally closed, and I insisted on walking home since Renee had to drive 45 minutes in the opposite direction. I really enjoyed late night walks, but after Renee pulled away and drove out of view, I felt very uncomfortable being alone, and my phone died earlier so I couldn't call anyone. Why I didn't charge it, I would never understand. My house was only about 5 blocks from the shop, so it would only take me 15 minutes to get there, 12 if I walked fast enough. The night was actually pretty scary without music to kill the silence. I only made it about two blocks when I noticed a slight clicking noise, that of an old car's engine. I almost froze in place when I realized someone was behind me with their headlights off. Just kept going. I told myself it was probably some drunk idiot from the bar who forgot to turn on his headlights. I kept going, trying not to seem like I noticed. I wanted to turn around and look so bad, but I was terrified. The person was driving slow enough that they didn't pass me for another block. Finally, the truck turned on their headlights and sped up past me, and turned on the next corner. But I noticed the driver. My heart stopped, and I froze in my footsteps. It was the same guy from earlier who had asked me for a cigarette. He stared at me, and I could see the dark glossy eyes and the darkness of his truck, and a few shadows on his face. He looked back at me making eye contact with a sinister grin. I waited a few seconds, long enough that he would have already turned on the next street. I walked as fast as I could until I finally arrived at the corner, one block exactly from my house. I could see it. I was almost there. What happened next will forever be one of the scariest things that have ever happened to me.
As I was crossing the street, a guy's voice called out from the darkness. Hey, you. Come over here. I looked over and was horrified. The man was getting out of his truck and beginning to walk towards me. I started walking backwards towards my house still. I'm calling the police. I yelled for some reason, even though my phone was dead and I took off running so fast towards my house, thinking smart. I didn't go straight into my house. I turned the next corner and made sure he was behind me and snuck into my neighbor's backyard. I was so scared I began to shake. And even though it was freezing temperatures, I was burning up in my heavy jacket. I waited for what seemed like half an hour and decided to be safe to go into my house. I watched out the window of the door that led straight to the basement. I waited a few minutes in the black hallway, and there he was. The man in the truck was driving by real slow with his lights off still. I've never seen that man again. But I will always remember the look on his face as he stared me down like I was fresh cut of meat. I often wonder what could have happened if I didn't think to threaten the police and ran fast enough, even though my phone was dead. I hope in a way that sparked fear long enough for him not to chase me. Okay, so this happened earlier tonight, and I know it's not very extreme, but I'm quite freaked out, and I really just want to get this out of my system. So, here we go. So I'm a fairly small human with a large dog. I'm about 5 foot 1 female and pretty skinny. And my dog is Akita, about 100 pounds. And probably stronger than me if she ever actually tried. We go for walks twice a day, every day, for about 3 miles each. And one of these is at night. We live in the middle of a metropolitan area. So, there's lots of hotels, stores, and restaurants all over the place. There is always people out and about. I've never felt unsafe walking around our area with my large dog, especially since with all these businesses comes regular patrolling police cars and several private security agencies all around. We lived here for nearly three years, walking every day and night without a single problem. On to tonight. We left for our normal walk, and while the streets are far less crowded, there are still some people out. We were about a mile from our apartment building when I walked past a man standing next to a convenience store in a dark gray hoodie. A lot of the homeless population around here sit outside of the convenience store regularly, so I don't initially think anything of it. We stepped to the edge of the sidewalk so that we could be about six feet away, intended to just walk past. But the man started to follow us and talk to me. He asked me about my dog at first. This is very common for us because she's not a well-known breed. And she is beautiful, if somewhat intimidating animal. Unfortunately, in this instance, intimidation doesn't translate to aggressive. Never thought I would complain that my aggressive-looking dog is really just a giant teddy bear. But here we are. I answer that she is Nikita and continue to walk, keeping a good amount of distance between myself and the man, whom I will now call CG. CG starts asking why I'm walking away from him, and specifically saying that that's rude, because we're old friends. I looked at him to make sure I wasn't wrong, and said loudly, No, I don't know you. I started walking faster and crossed the street, because I could see police lights flashing not far up the street. 
Sometimes, patrol cars will leave their lights on when there is no one in them. I'm not sure why, but that was the case here. I walked much more quickly towards the lights with CG following me, telling me I'm being mean and calling me Ashley, over and over. To be clear, my name is not Ashley. While there was no security guard in the car, there were a few other people around, so I turned around and yelled again. I don't know you. Leave me alone. CG stopped walking towards me, but I heard him mumble something else about whoever Ashley is. At this point, I really just wanted to get home as quickly as possible, because I was a little bit panicked. This man was much taller than me, and looked fairly large, at least compared to me, so it made me very nervous that he had been following me. I decided to take an indirect route home that would take me away from the street I was currently on that CG had been sitting on originally. I was a few more blocks away down the street when I saw him again. I had been keeping an eye out behind me to see if he'd followed, but no. He had crossed the street and was in front of me. I don't know if he had been hoping I wouldn't notice and would walk up to him or what. I think that must have been it because CG had put a bandana over his face and had pulled up the hood. But I recognized the jacket and the frame and was sure it was the same guy. To get home, I would have to cross the street, walk towards him, Instead, I crossed the street parallel to where he was. He did as well. Then continued to walk towards me and started shouting, calling me Ashley again. I didn't hear a lot of what he said, but I turned and ran with my dog in the other direction. About a block away was the hotel, so I walked into the lobby, right to the front desk. The front desk worker could tell something was wrong because I was clearly just trying not to cry. I apologized for bringing my dog in, but said someone had been following me, and I wanted to know if I could wait here and call the police. The worker was very kind and walked to the glass door and asked which man it was. I couldn't see him anymore, in the direction from which I'd come, so for a moment I thought CG had left. But no, he was at the other end of the parking entrance, hood down now, but standing against the wall, as if he was ready just to wait. The worker said I could wait as long as I needed, and he called the police from the hotel phone. I think they had a non-emergency light written down, and since he hadn't technically done anything, but yell and follow me around for a while, I agree that the non-emergency line was probably the right choice. A cruiser showed up fairly soon, though, and I pointed out CG to the cops, who was still waiting there against the wall. Technically, I couldn't prove he'd done anything illegal, but the cops went and told him that he needed to leave the property, as he was trespassing. They waited for him to leave, and then gave me and my dog a ride back to my apartment building to make sure he didn't continue to follow us and find out where we live. I don't know who CG was or who Ashley is, but let's not meet, and I hope Ashley doesn't meet him either. Okay, so when I was 14 years old, my friend and I were really into skateboarding, one time, we were all staying the night at my friend's house, and we decided to go boarding. Admittedly, it was kind of dumb, since we were four young girls, and it was almost dark out and not so nice area. Anyway, we were just minding our business when suddenly we heard shouting, so I explained the layout of the area. We were on a street that had a pretty large field next to it, 
that led straight into a backyard. We could see there was a pool with a few people in it, but we were too far away to actually make out any faces or anything. They were yelling at us to come chill with them, and were angsty teenage girls. So we yelled back, Hey, fuck off. I know, dumb. We kept skating down the road till we hit a dead end. That's when I noticed three guys coming towards us in the field. I told my friends that we needed to run, and we did. We ran and ran until we came across a large dirt hill to hide behind. None of us had phones at the time, so we couldn't contact anyone for help. And at this point, we didn't even know if they were actually chasing us or not. That's when we heard something scraping on the street. I decided to look behind the hill to see what it was. And I saw the three larger men with bats. They were scraping their bats on the street on purpose to scare us. I could also see something sticking out of one of their back pockets. It looked like a gun, but I wasn't sure. I honestly nearly shit myself right then and there. Then one of them started saying, Come on. Come on, party with us, girls. We have presents. In a horrible, menacing voice. All of us started crying. They kept repeating that in almost sing-song way. It gives me chills thinking about it to this day. Once they passed the dirt hill, we took the opportunity to dart to the closest backyard and hide there. Thankfully, the woman who lived there was just coming outside for a smoke. She saw us and was obviously confused. We explained everything to her and she offered to drive us home. We happily agreed. She told us that those men had always been a bother, and she's called the police on them multiple times. My friends and I were all shaking but extremely grateful for this kind lady. And to those men, I hope I never come across any of you ever again. For some background, I live in the UK and go to school with a uniform. I go to quite a large all-girls school with about 8 classes of 30 per year, with 5 years and a 6 form attached. So, I have heard about creeps lingering outside of the school before, but they are usually sorted out quite quickly by the school staff, I guess. At the time, I was in year 9, so just 13 and about 4 foot 9. I had a big homework assignment due, and because I didn't have a computer at home, I stayed late at school to do it in the ICT suite. As it was the beginning of the school year, it was relatively dark at 5pm, which is when I got out of school and this event took place. I had to get the bus home as both my parents were working. The bus stop outside my school was fairly busy. There were a couple other people and me and I had my back up against a fence and noticed a man under the bus stop, facing away from, but next to the road and opposite of the fence I was leaning on. I was aware of my surroundings as I had previous experiences with old creeps, and I'm a generally paranoid person. The man didn't strike me as particularly interesting, but I did notice him glance over at me from the corner of my eye. I then saw a bus and assumed it was mine, so I stepped forward to check. It was not my bus, which was annoying as I was cold and didn't have a coat. As I went to step back up against the fence, I almost stood back into the man that was under the bus stop originally, but he had moved to directly behind me. He had his arm up against the pole next to the bus stop, telling you the buses that come to the bus stop. I feel a bit cornered in, 
but I couldn't move as the other side of me had all the people waiting to get on the bus that was coming in. It felt like forever, as I could feel the man's breath on the top of my head, as I watched the bus cam and collect all the other people at the bus stop, but it was probably only a minute and a half. Once the last person got on that bus, I quickly moved out of the man's area and back against the fence. He moved so he was back under the bus stop, sitting across from me staring at the ground. At last, my bus came after about three minutes. I didn't want to give away the fact I was getting on this bus, but I had to wave it down so I stood next to the road to signal it over. As I got on, my heart was really going as the man was back behind me. I had already got my bus card out and scanned it very quickly, and only saw a few people downstairs. Normally, there might be a few people upstairs, in this case, so that's where I headed. That was probably my biggest success, or mistake. I don't know, to be honest. I got up there and it was completely empty. Great. Well, I couldn't really go back down at this point because I knew the man had already gotten on, and would be coming up the stairs, so... I did the next best thing. I sat in the outside seat directly in front of the bus's camera, which I kept looking directly at, just in case something happened. The man came up the stairs as expected. He sat at the right back of the bus, not before looking and smiling at me as he passed. It was then that I had an idea that probably saved me. I live in a quiet street and it was already dark now, so... There was no way I was getting off this bus at my stop with this man. I pulled out my phone and earbuds. I put one bud in my ear and texted my best friend to play along when I FaceTimed her and informed her of the situation. She understood. Along with some small talk, I talked, loudly, about how my mom was so mad that I had stayed late at school and that she had texted me saying that she was waiting at the door for me. And I had told her that I was only about 10 minutes away. In reality, I told my mom that I was staying late in the morning, before I left for school, and now my mom was at work, 45 minutes away, and so was my dad. About an hour and a half away was limited access to either of their phones. I was at my stop to get off now. I took a deep breath as I stood up. I looked back at the man, and he was looking at me as I walked down the stairs. My friend was screen recording at the time just in case something went down. Thankfully, he didn't follow me down, but as I was walking away from the bus, looked back to see him up against the back window, hands and fists staring at me. That's when I took my flimsy school shoes off and sprinted to my house, as the next bus stop was still in eyesight. There were two on the main road that led down my street. Once I was down the street and far enough away that you couldn't see the top of it anymore, I told my friend about him against the window. She understood and I put my shoes back on. I speed walked the rest of the way to my house. My family still doesn't know about this, even though I was quite proud of myself on how I handled the situation, and how I ran with no shoes on, my heavy skirt and a big rucksack on my back. I don't think they will ever know, because as much as I don't want to ever stay late at school ever again, I know I probably will have to again at some point and I don't want my parents to feel guilty about not being able to help if something more serious was to happen while they're at work. But yeah, to the creepy man who doesn't know what personal space is, or frankly doesn't care, I hope we never meet again.
I was about 14 when my church youth director told me about the new kid who was trans, like me. I was immediately excited to meet him and made it my mission to be friends. I'm usually not this outgoing, but I had recently been disabled and was starved of human interaction. We met up at a restaurant and I immediately got this bad feeling from him. First off, he was very femme, which is fine. He had long hair and wore girls' clothes, but I understood that gender and expression were different. Then from the little he spoke, I got this vibe that he was really into dark media. I'm talking children's cartoons like Courage the Cowardly Dog and stuff like incestuous vampire murder stuff, but I brushed that off too. I enjoyed Invader Zim and other people like dark subject matter than I do, so it's not a big deal. We ended up hanging out very frequently. He had a strange living situation where his mom had gotten custody of him after his grandparents looked after him for years. He hated all of them, even though he was supported by all of them. His mom had been neglectful of him for most of his life, so I understood why he was dysfunctional. Why would he talk for hours about stuff like cartoons and music? The bad feeling never went away, but I was able to repress it. After a while, he became more comfortable with me and told me some more quirky things he enjoyed. Video games of people vomiting or violently pooping. That lady who stepped on those animals and crushed them to death. Even admitting to admiring skull shooters in some weird philosophical way. That made sense to him. I was, to say the least, concerned. I thought maybe it's a release for him quickly downplaying his behavior and trying to be empathetic. Now, he had a dog, and he loved this dog. If he had to choose between himself or this dog, it would be the dog in a heartbeat. This gave me some relief, since I have two puppers myself, and I'd also die for them. We would hang out, and our dogs met a few times. Even more relieved washed over me. But, over time, I knew that I couldn't be a good friend if I only hung out with him out of obligation, so I slowly pulled away from him. All this stuff happened in the span of two years, and I felt awful for cutting him off. My own mental health was suffering because I had stayed for so long, but the guilt from leaving was monumental. The guilt was suddenly turned to rage. I was out shopping with a friend of mine. It was my mom's birthday, and we ended up going to get some food. She was talking about some school drama and then says, Have you heard about the guy who murdered his grandma's dog? No, I haven't. Who was it? Oh, just some trans guy from my school. It was really weird. I knew that my ex-friend was going to my friend's school. He was held back a lot and my friend had talked about how this kid was older than her. But he was at least a grade below her. I asked her what his name was and it was my ex-friend. Essentially, he beheaded his grandma's dog, cut out its heart, and put one in the freezer, and the other in a drawer, and then texted one of his family members about it. This was a week after he turned 18. I'm still horrified. He had been around my family, my dogs, slept in my bed, and had been super close with me. What's worse is that the videos of him in court show how little he cared about what he did, he wasn't forcefully placed in inpatient therapy, not even gel time, just outpatient. 
My friend also told me that he was known for going into the woods, killing small animals and playing with their bodies. It's been a while since this happened, but I'm still wrapped up in it. I'm oddly grateful that he only killed a dog and didn't shoot up a school. I never want to see him again, and I hope he gets the help that he needs. Okay, so this happened like 5-10 to ten years ago. Memory is a little hazy, but I remember it rather clearly. For context, I was maybe 20-23 to 23 year old male, and this was around 10-11pm to 11 PM at night. Story time. So I was driving to my ex's house. We had a good friendship. It was a good breakup. She broke up with me, but not important to the story. Well, I noticed an odd sound from my car and thought it was a flat possibly. I went to the gas station that was on the way. This was a place I went to often to fill up, maybe buy a drink. So I pull in and start looking around. Sure enough, I had a flat tire. I start to take it off and after fumbling with my tools, the car drives up right behind me. Which I thought was odd, but whatever. I'm having a hard time getting the flat tire off and he gets out and walks up close to me. I don't remember how he greeted me, but he wanted some money. He asked me if I could give him some. My heart raises a bit. Luckily, the gas station has people around it, so I feel fairly safe if he were to threaten me. I reply, no, I don't carry cash, which was a lie, but figure that ended. There is a woman in his car that looks sketchy. I don't know if she was a junkie or something, but something didn't seem right. Red flag number one. He then says if I could just take a ride around the block. I said no, I'm just trying to fix my tire here. I started getting nervous. I can't remember how the conversation went, but he kept saying, let's just take a drive around the block. The images in my head flashed of them robbing me and possibly murdering me. Finally, he says, hey, have you ever had your dick sucked? I mean really sucked. I don't know how to reply. I think I finally said, I'm okay. Thanks, I want to change my tire. He finally relented after seeing I wasn't going to do what he wanted and started asking for money from someone else. Hey, got a change for a brother? Funny enough, he actually helped me change my tire for some weird reason. As soon as he did, he drove away and I bolted to my ex's. I kept looking around to see if he was following me, which thankfully he didn't. This story is not about a ghost or an encounter with a creepy stranger. It's not even about a near-death experience or something like that. As a matter of fact, I was never in danger during the event. Nonetheless, it's a disturbing memory that I will carry with me until the day I die. I grew up in a small city, the kind of place you could barely call a town if it wasn't for the sheer number of people living there. Downtown was only a couple of blocks long, and in the middle of it was one of the biggest buildings in the area. It was the local movie theater, named after the city. I remember going there when I was very young, about seven years old, and watching the first Pokemon movie. It was probably nothing compared to the theaters we have nowadays. But back then, it was huge for me. I loved it. So when a few years later, I heard the cinema was going out of business, 
I felt sad about it. The building was sold to a religious group that used it for their services. You know the type. Loud music, big crowds with their arms in the air singing prayers, some having seizures on stage while the pastor yells through a mic. Every time I walked past the old cinema, I would see the announcements of the congregation where the movie posters would have been, and if they were in session, you could hear them singing from the other side of the street. This group owned the cinema for nearly a decade, until the local government bought back the building in order to restore it as a historic landmark of the city. When this happened, I was studying construction with the intent to follow architecture or civil engineering at college, and my class was very lucky to be involved with the cinema's restoration project because two of our teachers were architects who were working on it. I will always remember the day we went to visit the old cinema. Our class was small, only a handful of students, but we were all around the same age, so we all shared childhood memories of when the cinema was operational. We ran through the corridors of the auditorium, sat in the chairs just like we did when we were little kids, and began stomping on the wooden floor with our feet, filling the entire room with the echoes of our drumming and our laughter. A little ritual of sorts everyone used to do right before the beginning of the movie. Once the nostalgia time was over, we went back to the purpose of the trip and began to survey the building. We were very excited because that was a unique opportunity to go into the places we would have never been allowed to otherwise, so we made sure to check every corner every single room, no matter how far, no matter how obscure. The first one we found was below the stage. On one of the corners there was a little door, not very visible, probably because it was meant for maintenance staff only. Behind it we found a long room filled with rusty boilers, part of the old heating system that was no longer in use. The place was a little creepy, with all of those old tanks and pipes crowding the narrow space but what we found past them was what really started to freak us out. This room was small, very small. It was, after all, basically just leftover space behind the boilers, yet it contrasted so much with the rest of the area around it. It may as well have been from a different place altogether. The walls were painted a light color, white, I think, but I don't remember it very well because what really got my attention were the drawings in them. There were rainbows, a smiling sun, trees and flowers, and happy little people with smiles on their faces of dotted eyes. It was a daycare. The whole class and the teacher gathered to see the discovery. We were all very confused about the strange placing of the room. Okay, we could understand the need for a place to keep the kids that were too little to be amongst the crowd during prayers, or maybe the ones of the people who worked there but the placing was just... odd. The stage was probably one of the loudest places in the auditorium during the services, and this was right below it, so there was no way it could be a quiet place for the children. We left the boiler room and continued our tour through the theater, a little puzzled about our finding, but not giving it too much thought. Outside of the auditorium, there were the bathrooms, both in terrible condition. The ticket sales booth and a huge set of stairs that led to a mezzanine in the auditorium. Half of the seats there were totally ruined due to a water leak in the roof, and I cursed these people for not taking proper care of the building. With that part done, 
All that was left was the projection room on the third floor. Behind the tickets booth, there was a door that led to a spiral stair. I don't remember how tall it actually was, but it must have been over 10 meters of metallic steps without a single resting spot. I wasn't exactly an athlete, but I could walk several kilometers with no problem and rode on a bike to and from school every single day. Yet by the time I reached the top of the stairs, I was exhausted, and I wasn't the only one. All my classmates complained about how hard it was to walk up there. After a short break to catch our breath, we moved on to explore the third floor. It was roughly a narrow passageway with a couple of divisions to form different rooms, but it was more than enough for what it was made for. The first room from the stairs was a storage deposit, probably where they kept the movies and other equipment, and except for some trash it was mostly empty. The second room was the one we were all excited to see, the projector room. The old machine was so big that it was still there, and there were even some pieces scattered around. It was quite a piece of history, and we were all very thrilled to check it out, so no one really bothered to move on to the very last room until we were about to leave. And there, we saw it again. There was a train in this one instead of a rainbow. Something was written on it, in big, colorful letters. Something about Christ. I can't remember it well. The drawings were a bit old, the paint slightly peeled from the walls, but the colors were just as cheerful as you would expect for a place where children play. My heart sank to my stomach as I came to the realization of what that place really was, the one behind the boilers probably serving the same purpose. I took notice of how isolated that room was, literally the furthest away you could possibly get from everyone else. I thought about the three floors of stairs and imagined what it would have been like to a child to walk all the way up, only to end up in that room, the room with the colorful train in the wall. My classmates and I exchanged horrified expressions as I knew they were thinking the same. We never visited the theater again even though we continued with the restoration project for several months, and we never talked about those two rooms. Cases of molestation in the church are well known by everyone, to the point that the pedo priest is practically a cliché. But this is the kind of thing you think happens in some place far away, in another city, even in another country. You never imagine it can happen in the very same town you live, the place where you grew up, in the very same building where you once watched a Pokemon movie when you were seven years old. I should mention that I previously lived in a tiny town but went to high school in a considerably larger city. I never had a reason or the nerve to go out in the city on my own, so when my two friends wanted to hang around town, I was nervous to say the least. However, I thought, what the hell, I'll be with them. We had a blast for a couple of hours after school, with some small scary incidents along the way, including walking through a store full of expensive statues and gemstones with a massive backpack protruding from my back, and the original restaurant we wanted to go to was closed, forcing us to go to Subway. However, as it got dark, we all knew we had to go home. So we all enjoyed one last store, 
and went on our separate way. I waited outside the store alone, in the dark, not terribly afraid. Yet, I had told my mother where to find me, but she's hopeless with directions, so I had expected to be hanging around for a while. I noticed a news camera stationed outside the store, which made me feel even safer. But about ten minutes into the wait, I was approached by two men. My memory is fuzzy due to how freaked out I was, but this is what I remember. Hey, do you know where, the name of the town that I can't remember, is? I shook my head. I was already nervous because I'm a paranoid person on the best of days, and this was not turning out to be the best of days. Come on, one man coaxed. Listen, we'll give you a bag of jewelry if you help us, the other man said. Now, I was genuinely freaked out. I glanced around and noticed the news cameras and stepped a little closer to the line of sight of the lens. L listen I stammered, trying really hard not to stammer or show how freaked out I was. I think it's that way and I don't need anything, I said, pointing in a random ass direction. They glanced in the direction of my finger. They glanced back. Can you show us? Again, we have a bag of jewelry. It felt as if my heart leaped into my throat. No, no thank you. And my mom is coming to get me. I declined as calmly as I could. They stared at me for a few seconds, then nodded, thanking me and headed off in the direction I pointed. I kept well in the line of sight of the news camera until my mother picked me up. I didn't fully relax for a full week. I have absolutely no idea why they were so eager to give me that bag of jewelry. My first thought was that they stole it and wanted to throw the police off their trail by handing some of it off to me. The second was that they were trying to lure me away with the jewelry. Either way, it wouldn't have ended well for me if that was their goal. No one believed me, but I didn't expect them to. Not really. I have never felt comfortable in the city alone in the dark ever since. Even though it's been two years and I now live in a decently sized city for college. I would like to share with you an experience I had about ten years ago, give or take. I learned several years after this incident what happened to me is what doctors call sleep paralyses. I said they're full of shit. It really happened. I do not use drugs outside of caffeine and nicotine. I do not drink alcohol of any sort. So this was not a hallucination caused by either of the two, nor do I have any mental issues that I know of. Let's make that clear. Going back about a year before this incident, at that time I was really into ghost hunting shows. I watched and recorded any and every show I could find that was about a team of ghost hunters investigating haunted places. Some were good, others just sucked. No disrespect. I remember watching an episode of... Wait, in order to post on here, I can't use any real names, places, or addresses. Okay, let's see if I can do this. I remember watching the show where the lead hunter guy is a muscle-bound jerk who don't like bullies, but in turn is one himself. He orders his crew around like he owns them and they follow him blindly, like sheep. I think you know the one. 
it's a good show. At least it used to be. Anyway, they were investigating. Oh shit. Here we go again. They were investigating a bar owned by an old country singer, located in one of the southern states, who wrote a semi-popular song about a girl. Everyone in the paranormal community says this place is truly haunted. Okay, now since that shit's over with, back to the story. They were down in the basement, I think. It's been a while since I've seen it, and to this day, is the only episode of that show I will never watch again. They were talking with some guy about what goes on there, when up in the left top corner of the screen, there appeared a shadow figure wearing a cowboy hat standing in the doorway. At this time in the show, they stopped the film and pointed out that when they were down there, they didn't see this figure and only discovered it while reviewing the footage. I was naive back then and didn't really know much about the paranormal. I figured it's a TV show. What harm could it really do? Boy, was I wrong. I now know that ghosts, entities, or whatever you want to call them, can follow you home from places and are made up of energy and can travel through any energy source they want, and one did. Now that I've given you the backstory to this story, let's proceed with the reason I'm writing this. Many years before this incident, an old friend of mine, back when I was 11 or 12, whom I met through playing baseball in the same team. Anyway, he had recently bought a house and was looking for someone to just give his old trailer slash mobile home to, which is where this incident happened. We had lost contact over the years, but unbeknownst to me, he had kept in contact with my father. My father gave him my number. He called me up and made me an offer I couldn't refuse. A free trailer, just pay lot rent. Oh hell yeah, I'll take it. The trailer was old and needed work, but it was a good deal. I moved in, did some minor repairs, and a couple of weeks after that, I invited my father and stepmother over for dinner. My stepmother is what she calls an old soul. She can sense when things are not right with the universe. She took one look at the place and said, There's bad juju here. I don't like it. Every time she came to visit, she was nervous. She wouldn't sit still, always looking down the hallway. She eventually stopped coming. She said it was too thick for her, whatever that meant. I just thought she was nuts. I know now she's not. I lived there for many years, had some strange things happen, seeing apparitions out of the corner of my eye, voices, cold breezes. I just chalked it up to bad lighting, outside noises, insulation issues, some rational explanation, until that night. The night that changed my whole belief systems forever. The night I will never forget. I was lying in bed, asleep on my back, like I always do, when I woke up and noticed a black figure standing in the doorway of my bedroom. The hallway light was on. I always leave it on in case I need to make a bathroom run late at night. The light from behind the figure showed it had a head, two arms, and two legs, but no eyes. It was just standing there. I blinked a couple times to make sure I was seeing what I was seeing, and sure enough I was. Only this time, 
when I looked at it, it was wearing a cowboy hat. The moment I realized that, I physically saw it jump from the standing position in the doorway over the top of the bed and land on top of me. My body became stiff, unable to move. Out of my peripheral vision, I could see my wife lying next to me. I tried to scream, but nothing came out. I saw the figure sitting on top of me. It reached its hands down into my chest and started squeezing my lungs. I couldn't breathe. It was squeezing the life right out of me. There I was gasping for air, paralyzed and unable to make a sound. Just when I thought I was about to die, a series of intensely bright white lights started flashing all around the room, like a strobe light on steroids. I closed my eyes to shield them from the lights. It was that bright. Suddenly, my body jerked a couple times like a convulsion and then stopped. I opened my eyes and it was gone. I was able to breathe again. I lied there, heavy breathing for a good 20 minutes, too scared to move. When I finally got the nerve to try, I slowly moved my right hand over to my nightstand, still shaking from fear. I grabbed my phone to check the time, like I always do when I wake up in the middle of the night. The time was 3.48 a.m., the witching hour. I did not go back to sleep that night. I cautiously got out of bed so not to wake up my wife and turned on every light in the house, every single one, including all the bedroom lights. How my wife stayed sleeping, I do not know, but thankfully, she did. I made a pot of coffee, grabbed my Bible, and sat at the dining room table, drinking coffee. Bible in hand until the morning came. I must have smoked at least a pack and a half of cigarettes in that three-hour span of time. I'm good with that. I'm still alive. I asked my wife if she had seen or heard anything strange the night before. She said no and I left it at that. I didn't tell her what had happened, and I still haven't. She probably wouldn't believe me anyway. My wife and I stayed at the trailer for about two months after that. When we got the opportunity to rent an actual house, we took it. We packed all our things and moved out. On the last day we were ever at that trailer, my wife had left the vacuum in the back bedroom where this experience happened. She asked if I would go get said vacuum and I agreed. Upon entering the room, a weird sense of dread fell over me, and something inside of me told me I needed to get out of there, and quick. I grabbed the vacuum, ran down the hallway and out the front door as fast as I could, slamming the door behind me. I then turned around and yelled, You want this place? You can have it. I'm gone. My wife looked at me like I lost my mind. My father and stepmother helped us move along with some friends. My stepmother insisted that we drive all the vehicles that contained our belongings over bodies of water to block any of the bad juju from coming with us to the new house. We did and have had no bad experiences in our new house, aside from a few bad dreams I had the first couple of nights we were there, about the trailer, but that was it. Well that's my story. I don't really care if you believe me or not. I know for a fact. It really happened. I live in an old apartment building. I've been here for about two years and my roommate and I have had very few scary experiences so far. 
except for this one that happened the last summer. It was around four in the morning when we were woken from a dead sleep by the fire alarms going off throughout our entire four-story apartment building. Seeing as this place is occupied mostly by seniors, we figured someone had left a pot on the stove again. I grumbled and blindly grabbed for a blanket. Last time we had a false alarm. I was left shivering and barefoot on the sidewalk waiting for the fire department, and I wasn't about to let that happen again. My roommate and I put our shoes on. I grabbed my phone and keys, and we poked our head out into the hallway. Nothing seemed off. The hall was empty. No one else had come out of their apartments. Yet. Reluctantly, my roommate and I walked down the hall towards the lobby. We figured our neighbors would soon follow suit. It was only when we went through the lobby and out the front door that we realized something was wrong. A handful of people who had already come out of the building were running and shouting about how the building was on fire this time. We followed them around to the side of the building as more and more people fled in their pajamas, and to our horror, we saw an apartment on the top floor belching out flames. People were frantic, searching for water, a ladder, anything. Someone remarked that there was a lady who lived in the apartment who had mobility issues, and she needed to be rescued. Now, and where the hell was the fire department? My roommate was quite disturbed by the whole scene, so we decided to go back to the front of the building, away from the fire. On our way, we saw a guy jump off his balcony to the ground. He rolled when he landed, but I think it still really hurt, judging from how he sat on the grass and groaned for a while. He was lucky to only be on the second floor. There was chaos, yelling, screaming, an odd mix of panic and disinterest, especially amongst the senior citizens who didn't want to leave the building because using the stairs was so difficult. The fire department arrived much quicker than they ever had before, seeing as this was a real emergency, and it wasn't long before elderly ladies in nightgowns were being rescued via ladders and wheeled off to the hospital next door. At one point, the man who lived below the apartment on fire had a screaming episode at one of the landlords, the one that looked like a walking skeleton with an oxygen tank and a scooter. By the time the fire department got everything under control, it was around 6 or 7 a.m., the sun was up and the people were beginning their morning commute. The fire department had blocked off our whole street, which must have been a pain, and the entire population of my building sat on the curb in pajamas and blankets. Little kids, old people, broke college kids, the works. The community really pulled together that morning. The public bus service gave us a couple of buses to sit and warm up in instead of standing around on the chilly sidewalk. Paramedics handed out blankets and assessed injuries. The people in the surrounding houses were kind enough to bring us water and snacks. One lady brought a serving tray with mugs of tea from her own kitchen and offered it to anyone she could find. My mum came down to rescue my roommate and I, even though she lived an hour outside of town and hadn't even showered yet. She brought us breakfast and a change of clothes, as we didn't know when we'd be allowed to go back into the building. The most disturbing details of what had just taken place that morning came to us as we were waiting on the bus. Everyone was talking about the fire, of course, but one man had a particularly horrifying detail to add. He'd heard through the grapevine that the lady whose apartment caught fire never made it out of the building. Sadly, we suspected as much, 
with her mobility issues and all. But there was more. The firefighters apparently found her in the hall. She had made it out of her apartment, but couldn't escape the smoke. Whether she died from smoke inhalation or from burns, we aren't sure. But one thing that man said that sticks with me is that someone said that as they stood outside and watched the flames, they heard the woman screaming, Help me! I'm burning! I've always been afraid of burning to death, and the idea that my neighbor may have had such a horrifying end is deeply disturbing. I know the man who lived below her heard her screaming. He wouldn't stop talking about it. I think he ended up with a form of PTSD from this event, and I don't blame him. We were all brought to a community center where the fire department and emergency response volunteers helped bring some clarity to the situation and told us what to expect. Everyone was very kind and sympathetic to us. Whatever we needed, they provided for us. I think all of that is pretty standard procedure. But still, I was extremely thankful to the kindness of the volunteers, firefighters, paramedics, and Good Samaritans. It was pretty surreal to be in a situation like that. We had almost nothing on us. My roommate hadn't thought to grab her phone, so she had to borrow mine to let her family know she was okay. We had no money, no ID, none of the essentials, and we had no idea how long we would be homeless. I hadn't been so happy to have my mom with me in a long time. I felt like a scared little girl, even if I didn't show it. We were lucky. The fire happened on the opposite end of the building from us. Our unit was totally unaffected, and we were one of the few allowed back into our apartment the same day. The building stunk of smoke for weeks, even though the fire took place on the fourth floor in a single apartment. The damage was extensive. Even on the ground floor, the walls were blackened with ash. When they attempted to start fixing up the building, they found asbestos in the walls. A few people were forced to move out of their apartments, and were talking people who had lived there for around 30 years. I remember the night we were allowed back into our apartment. I wanted to box up my most important possessions and keep them in my car, as if I thought the building was going to catch fire again. My home didn't feel safe anymore, and it wouldn't for several weeks. It would take a long time for us to hear anything about what caused the fire. Last I heard, a space heater was to blame, but I don't know for sure. In the days that followed, the fire was featured on the front page of the local paper. The family that lived just down the hall from us were featured in the picture. The article spelled out details that I had already heard. It labeled the guy that lived below the fire as a hero for attempting to save the lady upstairs. It was a valiant effort, but there was nothing he could have done without endangering himself. I feel sorry for him, and I often wonder if the guilt keeps him up at night. Sometimes I think about the lady who passed away in this building. I listen to a lot of ghost stories so I wonder if her spirit haunts this place. Her sudden and horrifying death would be the sort of thing to make a ghost linger on Earth, wouldn't it? So many things left unfinished. Regardless, I hope she's at peace, and I hope that my neighbors have been able to find some semblance of peace as well. Four months later, we've regained a sense of normalcy. Things are back to how they were before, if you ignore the orange tarps around the side of the exterior. The restoration vans that come and go every day, and the security guards stationed in the lobby. 
The damaged wing is still closed while they try to sort out the asbestos situation. But for those of us who live on the other end of the building, things are relatively normal. I hope they stay that way. When I was younger, I'd go visit my grandparents all the time. They lived in a one-floor house with an unfinished basement. I never liked it down there. It felt small for a big basement. There was a little door down there that was for storage, and I always got a horrible feeling when going close to it. And let me add that this was a newer house that was about six years old. Now during the time, I was about six or seven. I felt so uncomfortable going down there even when I was with someone. I didn't like it. I remember going down there with my grandma to help with something. She had to run upstairs because someone rang the doorbell. She said she would be right back, even though she knew how I felt about being down there alone. But I nodded and said okay. She was gone and I was alone, and I started to get a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. I didn't move and didn't want to, even though the lights were on. Now this is where everything started happening, and it still gives me chills. The lights started to flicker and I started to hear noises, and what sounded like talking, and it was not coming from upstairs, but from inside the storage room. I heard someone say my name. Here is the part that freaks me out the most. The voice sounded like my grandma. I was confused as hell. How am I hearing her when she's upstairs? I didn't want to move, but me being the curious one I am, I started moving towards the storage room door. The closer I got, the worse the bad feeling came. When I got to the door, the lights turned off in the basement. I wanted to run upstairs and hide, go home, somewhere that wasn't the basement. I heard my name again for the second time, my grandma's voice asking me to open the door to help her. So I did, and I regret it. I couldn't see anything. It was pitch black. I couldn't hear anything but faint laughing that felt like forever. But then the laughing stopped and the lights turned back on in the basement and I felt a little bit better with the lights back on. But the downside, I could see a little in the storage room. I saw a small clown doll in the storage room and my grandma hates clowns with a passion and wants nothing to do with them. So why is there a clown doll? I have no damn idea. Then the lights turned on in the storage room. I saw red that looked like blood all over the place. I screamed and blacked out. And the next thing I knew, I was laying on the couch. My grandma looking at me and asking if I was okay. I have no idea if that was real or a dream. But sure as hell felt real. So, a couple of days ago, my boyfriend and I were driving up his road that's in the middle of the woods, and as we turned a corner, we first saw the deer. The deer didn't even flinch at our car coming up the road, which was very weird. Then we saw it. Now, I'm not normally a scared person, but seeing this thing made me piss myself. It looked as if this thing was talking to the deer. It had to be at least eight feet tall very thin. 
and they had all black wings. It flew right up in front of the car, and my boyfriend slammed on the brakes, turns to me, and says, Tell me you saw that, and asked me to describe it to him as to make sure he wasn't going crazy. I did, and we sped all the way home. This all happened in about a minute, although it felt a lot longer. I was telling my dad about it, and he saw the same exact creature years earlier at my sister's bus stop. He tried to convince my sister it was a garbage bag or something, but my sister's response was, Daddy, that thing was too fast and too big to be a trash bag. And all my dad could say was, I don't know. If anyone has any idea what this could be, it would be appreciated in the comment. I'm very skeptical about this, and I'm looking for a more logical explanation. To give you a little background about myself, I come from a South Asian country where it's unsafe for a girl to go on a solo adventure. That being said, there are some states which are relatively safe. 2019 had been a rough year for me, but by October, I started feeling rather better and decided to take a solo trip for my birthday. I spoke to some friends and decided to head to a small village down south. My brother helped me convince my old protective mother as he had already been there. To put her mind at ease, I decided to get pepper spray. Unfortunately, we couldn't find one, so I kept a bottle of deodorant and a knife handy. I decided to stay there for five days and booked the room at a guest house only for two days, thinking I'll check out this guest house that my friend had suggested and hopefully move there. To tell you a little more about this village, it's a hippie paradise, if you know what I mean. Everyone is extremely friendly and warm, and they have tourists coming from all over the globe. Once I got to the room, I was a little paranoid because it seemed a little dingy. Forget about the security system. The last one door was barely functional. The first night was a bit unsettling, but nothing happened. Next day was my birthday, so I rented a bike and went on exploring the village. Sometime after lunch, I decided to check out the guest house that my friend had recommended, which was a little secluded, but extremely peaceful. As I reached there, I was greeted by the owner, who showed me around. This place had big huts on one side and a row of small rooms on the opposite side. I decided to take the ladder as it was cheaper and I didn't want to plan on being in the room. We exchanged numbers and I told him, I'm moving the next day. The next day I got there and had lunch with the owner and he told me about the history of the place and a bit about himself. I realized that he wasn't around when my friend had been there. I was trying to read him to see if I was getting creepy vibes from him since I was spending two nights there. After lunch, I went to a restaurant that was right behind the guest house. I met some locals whom I was already acquainted with. Along with them were two new guys, one of whom was from my city. The three of us instantly clicked and started hanging out. Once it got dark, 
we came back to my guest house to chill. When the owner told us that he was planning a bonfire, which some of the Israeli guests, who were sitting at another table an hour past, as we ate and played cards, but those guys didn't seem like they were in the mood for a bonfire and soon left the place. Since the owner had already set things up, we decided to spend some time by the fire with him. We were all sitting and talking up until midnight when the other two boys decided to take off as they weren't staying there. I told the owner that I'd head back to my room. He tried to convince me to stay but I didn't want to be alone with him. My room's door had around five locks, but only two of them functioned. So I locked them and realized that the windows facing each other did not have any panes, and the curtains were made with scraps of thin cloth, which meant anyone could peep inside and see everything. So I went into the bathroom to change and clean up. As soon as I stepped out, I started keeping my stuff in my bag. I heard someone whisper my name, twice. My heart skipped a beat, and I froze for a few seconds. I decided to ignore it, and quickly shut all the lights. Before going to bed, I decided to keep the bed right in front of me at the door, so in case someone tries to open it, it would make some noise. I took out my deodorant and knife and kept it right next to my pillow before laying in bed. I kept looking at both of the windows to see if anyone was outside. After about half an hour, the metallic door started rattling violently as if someone was trying to force it open. Instantly, I stood up and got hold of the knife and deodorant. My mouth went dry and my heart started beating fast. I didn't know if I should scream because I only knew of one girl who was staying in the opposite hut. After what felt like forever, the door stopped shaking and I collapsed into the bed. I checked the windows to see if anyone was walking by, but no one did. I tried to think of what it could have been. Maybe it was a wind, but the curtains hadn't moved a bit. It had to be a person. I don't know when, but I passed out soon after. I woke up around 6 a.m. to see that it was almost bright outside. I closed my eyes and tried to go back to sleep when it started happening again. Frantically, I shut up in bed again, ready to attack, but once again, it stopped after a few minutes. I didn't understand what was happening. Was it even happening? I went closer to the door and got a look at the bin that I had kept by the door. It had been moved away from its original position. Yes, something definitely had happened. Not knowing what to do, I decided to go back to sleep. When I got out of the room later, I tried to read the owner's face, but it was just as hard to read as it did before. What worried me the most was that I had to spend another night in that room. I decided to not let that thought spoil the day and went out with two friends I'd made for a trek and then watched the sunset from the hilltop where all the locals gathered to play music in the evening 
including that owner. My new friends and I went somewhere else after that. And then around 10, decided to head back to my guest house for dinner. As I was nearing the hotel, I got a text from the owner asking where I was. I didn't think much of it because it was late and he was probably wondering if I was safe. I didn't reply as we were almost there. We sat down on the footing. The owner said, I was just about to text you and showed me the message he typed on his phone. I was just thinking about you, the message read. I'm not sure what that meant, so I looked at his face trying to read him and realized he was trying to do the same. Quickly, I decided to act normal and told him where we were. We all sat down, met a couple more people, ate, smoked, and around 11, the guys decided to head to the guest houses. At that point, I got up and told him, I head to my room too. He looked at the time and asked me why I was ending the night so early. I told him that I was really tired and from all the walking and that I wanted to get up early. He didn't push me any further as there was people leaving too. I went back to the room filled with anticipation and dread, but thankfully nothing happened that night. The next day I checked out, but my bus wasn't until 5 p.m. I didn't want to be left alone with the owner, so I met up with these guys, leaving my luggage at the reception, which was also the eating area. When I came back, I picked up my bag, thanked them, and left hurriedly. I still have no idea if it was the owner or the only helper that I've seen around. Whoever it was trying to forcefully get through my door, let's not meet. This happened to me when I was a junior in high school. I was 16 years old when I was invited to one of my friend's birthday party. A lot of really scary things happened to me in this period of my life. But this is one of the scarier events. I lived pretty close to my school in a nearby apartment complex, then in the middle of a big city. So most of the time, I just biked five minutes to school. The party wasn't until 4.30. So the plan for me was to bike back home, to change, drop off my bike, walk to the diner next to the complex, and wait until I could get picked up there. I get home to change my clothes and grab a bag to put my ukulele and other essentials with me. My ukulele didn't fit in my bag, so I zipped it up on both sides so the top was visible. I grab my keys and I'm off. Now, to get an idea of how the parking lot was set up, the entire complex had a gate with a short wall and a middle fence around the top of it. The cars were all lined around the gate and across it with the 30 or 40 apartment buildings in between. I happened to live right on the corner of the car gate, but to avoid the public, I was usually walk inside the gate till I get to the other end where there's a small gate door that looks locked, but never is. <clears throat> I was walking down the street, passing the apartments, when I see two men cross the street. One of them turned and looked directly at me. 
I initially thought something was off, but I didn't really think much of it and simply avoided them since I was close to the gate door anyway. After a bit, he started to walk slightly adjacent from me and next to the cars. He looked to be in his late mid-40s. He had dark hair, tan skin, and didn't seem to take much care of himself. He suddenly asked me, what kind of instrument is that? Referring to the ukulele in my backpack. Now I dumbly responded, very briefly, ukulele, and ignored him. I was still very young, and it was just my first reaction. I immediately regretted this since he started to pace up just a little more, and he starts to ask, what's your name? At this point, I got a sinking gut feeling. I knew that I needed to get out of there. My fight or flight kicked. He started to quicken my pace. As expected, he started to do the same. But his friendly tone switched quickly and he started repeating himself more aggressively. I started to run at this point and he did the same. Thank God there happened to be another younger man at the end of the gate who saw me sprinting to the gate. I started to wave towards the man, asking for help while panting from the sprints and sheer adrenaline shooting through my body. He quickly noticed everything happening, opened the gate for me, let me through, and proceeded to block the way from the man previously chasing me. I sprinted all the way to the diner, telling them how I was chased and asking them to sit in a seat away from the windows. The team was very polite and helpful overall. They brought me water and allowed me to wait until my friend arrived. I can't imagine what would have happened in an alternative situation. I wish I could thank the man that helped me. I don't know if I would have been fast enough if it wasn't for him. Now I refuse to walk anywhere by myself. I only bike and drive if I needed to. And no longer will I ever travel alone. Last year, I went to a Super Bowl party hosted by one of my dad's work friends. I assumed I would be the only teen there, so I was delighted to find out there were two other teens attending, Billy and Emma. The three of us went to a separate room to hang out. We got along well, but there was no budding friendship or anything serious. I thought Billy was cute, but it was in no way a love at first sight experience. Before leaving, none of us exchanged phone numbers or any social media profiles. As we were heading home, I get a direct message from Billy on Instagram, which I thought was strange, seeing as I had never given him any of my information, but I figured out he had contacted both Emma and I. In this conversation, I learned that Billy lived over an hour and a half away. He also asked me if he could take me out to see a movie. I told him sure, but I wasn't interested in anything serious. Ground rules being we could see other people, no strings attached, and no jealousy. He told me that's what he also wanted, and I was happy that we were both on the same page. We spoke on and off for three days until he got grounded, and he stayed grounded for many weeks. I quickly started dating my current boyfriend, and as soon as Billy became ungrounded, I told him this, and that if he still wanted to be friends, that was okay by me, but there was 
nothing to be romantic between us. He told me this is okay with him, that there was no hard feelings. But then he stopped contacting me for several months. And not only thought everything was fine, but I completely forgot about its existence entirely. Three months later, I was at a rehearsal when I get a call from Billy's phone number telling me Billy had run away and that I need to tell them immediately if I've heard or seen anything in any way about him. I said that I had it, but I hope they found their son. And the same day, my mom told me she was going to be extremely late to pick me up, so my friend Elliot invited me to wait outside his house, causing me to leave the door six across the school instead of the usual door 14 where I was waiting. Once I ended up getting home, we found a cop at our house asking us if Billy was there. We told him no and that we were barely acquaintances. Hours later, I found out that Billy had been found. We're finding me where he was found. Billy was found an hour and a half away from his house, outside door 14 at my school, waiting for me with large amounts of drugs and alcohol in his car. I had never told him I went to school or that that was a door that I normally left out when others normally went out door one. To this day, I have no idea where me may have found this information.